He who saves one life saves the world entire. And the most important life to save is your own. After all, it's the place where you have the most power. So join shadow worker and trauma therapist Laura Giles each week on It's Not You, It's Me. We'll uncover what's in shadow and learn the things you need so you can heal yourself, grow yourself, know yourself, love yourself, be yourself, and share yourself. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, it's time to drop the self-sabotage and limiting beliefs. A healthy, abundant, connected life is an option. Choose it. Subscribe. And let's start manifesting it. It's spring and there is so much to talk about with the changing of the seasons. I'm super excited about diving into the air element, but I follow the energy and the energy around me is on addiction. If you have an addiction or know someone with an addiction, and that's just about everybody, right? Stay tuned. I think this is going to blow your mind because I'm going to talk about it from a holistic, natural point of view, which might be new to you. So welcome to Surviving to Thriving. That's exactly what we do here. Each week I basically point to how you can see your life in the sacred wheel, in nature. Once you know what you're looking at, it becomes a mirror and a guidepost. You always know where you are, where you stand, what to do next. And if that appeals to you, click on the subscribe button. Share it with someone you love. It's a great way to show reciprocity and give me a virtual high five. So if you're in the mental health field or read self-help books, you know that there's lots of new diagnoses that pop up all the time. There are lots of catchphrases and one of the latest ones is love addiction. And love addiction is just insecure attachment. So a lot of these things are all the same thing. There are 10,000 ways to say the same thing that basically create specialist and four-step programs and you don't need any of that. And they don't work because they don't go to the root of the problem. If you got the wrong di diagnosis, you're gonna have the wrong approach. You don't need a nutritionist, for example, for an eating disorder until the late stages. So it kinda might seem obvious. Food thing, get me a food expert. Drinking problem, stop drinking. That's really not how it works in the holistic view. So all addiction is a result of not being well nurtured at birth. I know that might sound like, what? So think about when you're a baby. The only way that you get your needs met is through your primary caretaker, so probably your mother. And you don't have a lot of ways to communicate what you need. So all you really have is crying. If you're wet, you're crying. If you are hungry, you're crying. If you want to be snuggled, you're crying. And if your needs are met, you feel secure and you trust and you feel worthy and good and you begin to feel that you can meet your own needs. And if you don't have your needs met, you continue to look outside yourself for this. And you don't trust that you can ever feel full. And it becomes about chasing satisfaction and hanging on to feeling good so essentially it's a fear of abandonment and emptiness. And the only difference between alcohol and any other addiction is just the way that you choose to fill yourself. 
So I know this sounds like a blame the mom thing, you know, back in the day with Freud, that was his, his reason for everything. All, all issues have to do with bad parenting, but your parent can't give you what they don't have. And if their parents didn't have it, how do you expect them to have it? So, you know, maybe if you, you had a dad who didn't know you existed, so he wasn't around, maybe there was domestic violence. Maybe your parent had to work and so they loved you, but they were not there. Maybe there were just too many kids and not enough time or energy. Maybe one of your parents was ill or experienced trauma. There's a lot of reasons why this nurturing didn't happen. I wouldn't get bogged down in the blame because, you know, we all do the best that we can. At the root of it, it's your problem now. It's not fair, but it is up to you to fix it if this is your issue, addiction is your issue. And you got to do it for you, but you also do it for everyone around you. We're all one and you matter to everybody. If you clean yourself up, you know, you clean up your own house, your own yard, your own neighborhood, and it beautifies everything around you. It matters. It's not fair, but it is what it is. And it's compassionate. There's no point in blaming now. It's not going to change it, but you can change you. So the first stage of addiction is wanting connection. So you might drink to be more social so you can get closer to people, to have courage to speak, to get over that anxiety and fear of being rejected or to be engaging in fun. So you, you do what you do to feel better, to be connected and Sex addiction is about scratching that skin hunger. You know, when we're babies, we all want to be snuggled and that doesn't go away. We all need healthy touch. And our society is so touch phobic that the only socially acceptable way to get that is through sex or rough sports. So, you know, hold somebody's hand for Pete's sake. Hug, snuggle. You don't have to be the opposite sex to snuggle. There's this wonderful thing called cuddle parties. And it's basically to feed that skin hunger. If you're single, what are you supposed to do? We don't really have the socially acceptable outlet for that. So these cuddle parties are places where people get together and um, have consensual, safe touch. That's not sexual. How cool is that, right? You can snuggle your kids. Lots of people have animals because it just feels really good to have somebody there who loves you and snuggles with you. It's a really important thing. Gambling and drugs is about getting that adrenaline hit, that high that also comes from touch. That's oxytocin. That's why people catch feelings when they sleep with people they never intend to like and they aren't a good fit for them because it just makes us feel good. And if I feel good when I'm with you, I'm gonna start to like you, even if you're not the best person for me. So be careful who you start to snuggle with because you might start caring about them. But food does the same thing. It's all that oxytocin. I feel good. I feel good. And, and I start to associate it with the person or the thing that I'm feeling good with. So food is associated with happy gatherings. So it's a way to feel the way that you do when you're connected with family and society. So it's all about wanting to feel good and to reconnect with those things that make us feel good. And I've talked about Rat Park before on this podcast, but here's a quick review in case you missed that one. So where does this whole idea come from? It comes from the idea that uh, there was this experiment 
where people was looking at addiction and they gave these rats cocaine or opiates and put them in isolation. And when they were in isolation, they just took drugs until they basically killed themselves. And when they took them out of isolation and put them in a place where they had lots of room, toys to play with, other rats of both genders, so they were able to have sex, the rats totally ignored the drugs. It was freely available and they totally ignored it, which I think is pretty stunning. So if humans are like rats, and I do believe we are, then addiction is not about my brain can't handle it. It just wants it, wants it, wants it, crazy, crazy, crazy. What it craves is that attachment and that connection and that nurturing from other people. So the first stage is about that. If it goes on long enough, I'm not sure about other addictions, but food addiction has a second stage. And this is about wanting control. So criticism and judgment are a huge part of eating disorders. Eating what you want is a way of displaying control and defiance. It's a way of saying, I'm here. I can do what I want. I won't be controlled. So it's a way of standing up. And so it's a form of rebellion. And it could be that way too with drugs if you are taking drugs to escape a horrible situation. Like you feel invalidated all the time. It could be a form of um, control in the second stage. So I've given up on connecting with you. All I want to do is get away from you. Or all I want to do is have a voice. It's that kind of thing. In the latter stage of eating disorders, a nutritionist is a good idea because of the malnutrition. So a person doesn't want to eat anymore because the body is starting to shut down. So you can put all kinds of tasty food in front of them and they're just going to be like, no, I'm not interested. But giving someone the B vitamins and uh, zinc can help kick in that hunger reflex again. But focusing on nutrition as a first step is basically a cognitive behavioral therapy. It's like seeing someone who is starving for affection and giving them a book. Logic and education isn't going to scratch an itch for connection because it's not a lock and key. That's not the problem. So it doesn't really fix it. You might get them to eat some more, but it, it, the inner hunger is not going to be satisfied. So the third stage of addiction is wanting to die. If an alcoholic starts drinking to be social, and the latter stages, they're probably drinking alone. We know people like this, right? So it's to obliterate the hopelessness of ever feeling whole again. Or when someone gambles and loses it all, it's a way to push them over the edge into suicide or putting themselves in harm way so that something or someone else kills them. It's a death wish. So if I drink myself into oblivion and fall down in the gutter and bust my head open, I'm not putting a gun to my head, but I'm putting myself in a situation where I could die. That's what I mean by a death wish. If it's food addiction, it could be through disease or malnutrition. Sex addiction could also be through disease or picking the wrong person who just ends up killing you. It's desperation. Addiction is desperation. Think about domestic violence. On the surface, this is a crazy thing. Someone hurts you really bad and you stay. 
you somehow convince yourself that it's not that bad. They love you and you love them and nothing bad's ever going to happen again. It just defies logic, doesn't it? It's all about the need for connection. And in the latter stages, the desire to die. And that happens, doesn't it? A while back on this podcast, I said that there are only two things, love and fear. Fear creates distance and harm to ourselves and others. We do things without thinking. We even divorce ourselves from ourselves and don't see the harm that we're doing by isolating, overworking, laying in bed all day, letting people disrespect us, or doing other not healthy things. It just all slips underneath the radar. Love and awareness makes all this present. You can't do these things when you're aware of them. It hurts too much. It hurts too much to see someone suffering and not at least witness it. When we do talking circles, that's what we're doing for each other. I can't tell you what a gift that is because we all want to be seen. That's what the toddler is crying for when they're on the swing and she says, Mommy, look at me. We stop saying that, but we never stop wanting that. Sometimes it's too hard to ask for it because we think we'll be laughed at, rejected, or judged. As a coach and therapist, that's the most important thing I do. No, as a human, that's the most important thing that I do. I'm going to ask you to do that too. I believe we can end addiction of all sorts right now by doing that for each other. It's really not about quitting using substances or eating or gambling. If someone is successful with that, the hunger still rages inside. We've got to be better humans, more compassionate, less controlling, judgmental, and more supportive. Everything's going to be all right. You're all right just as you are. And I can't tell you how healing that is. I've had more than a few clients come to me and act out. They have come to sessions drunk, high, with cuts on them, and done other self-destructive things, thinking that they were going to be chastised, judged, rejected, or kicked out. I've even been in higher-level professional teaching environments where people have said that they'll only talk to their clients if they're dressed, sitting up, speaking in respectful words, and things like that. And I've had many clients say that they've been kicked out of therapy for reasons just like that. I'm thinking, are you serious? It's what they expect. It's what they set up. It's a way of saying to themselves, see, nobody loves me and testing that in here in therapy where you're supposed to be your safest. Let me see how safe I am. And when the counselor gives them that, we perpetuate the cycle of disconnection. We create this society. and I don't want to live in a disconnected, violent, self-destructive, sick society. But when we do that to each other, that's exactly what we create. The most important thing that I give to people is a sanctuary. No judgment, no gossip, no comparisons, no need to defend. Just a safe place to be as they are. And that's a little weird at first. <laughs> but once they accept that all is well, for some people... I don't have to do a whole lot else. They figure it out. Healing happens. It just does. The Surviving to Thriving community is just that. It's a virtual sanctuary where people can figure out who they are, be themselves, and share themselves without having to be perfect, beautiful, successful, or young. Who you are right now is just perfect. 
I'm sure some of you might say, well, I've been trying to love my person with an eating disorder or a gambling addiction and it hasn't helped. And to that I say, it's up to them to heal. You can't do it for them. You can only offer unconditional positive regard. And unconditional positive regard doesn't mean that they get whatever they want. That's destructive, especially when it's a child. It doesn't mean bailing them out of their messes. People need consequences. It doesn't mean that you have no boundaries. Someone who didn't get nurturing as a child probably also didn't get healthy boundaries. So giving them healthy boundaries will help them to feel safe. Nobody's going to let their guard down and feel love if there's no safety. If you're struggling with that, go check out the podcast on anxiety, where I share some tips about how to self-regulate and get started with creating your own safety. Because the most important part of this is that they have to heal themselves. Or if it's you, you have to heal yourself. I have to heal myself. Nobody can give anybody that. The best doctor, therapist, or healing in the world doesn't heal anybody. They just give the person the means to heal themselves. And it takes energy and power to heal. And that has to come from the person with the imbalance. So what's this got to do with the sacred wheel? Well, it's about being whole. If you take any necessary ingredient away from the whole, we get imbalanced. If the timing is off, we can't be healthy. So what I mean is if I put seeds down in the winter, they're not going to mature. It's not time for planting. It's time for resting. And we can always bring things back into balance. If you didn't get good nurturing and safety as a child, I'm sorry. And it's not too late to get that now. We all need safety, food, water, shelter, clothing. That's earth and winter. We all need a safe place to try out our wings, to learn and grow, to explore. That's air and spring. As we mature, we get to know who we are, to be who we are, and love who we are. We get to do things that express ourselves. That's fire and summer. Then we get to develop our connections with others, be good neighbors, and have great relationships. We get to deepen our emotional lives and explore existential We get to deepen our emotional lives and explore existential topics. Love really blossoms here. That's water and the fall. None of that can really happen well in a meaningful way without that firm foundation of winter. That's safety. It happens in a circle, a cycle. Each part depends on the part before. It goes around and around, deepening and growing every time we go around the wheel. Everything can be learned but you gotta focus on the right thing at the right time. The order of operations matters big time. You can't thrive if you have no roots. Making tons of money or having a great title won't fill the void created by a fear of abandonment. Compulsive eating, drinking, gambling, or sex won't make you feel good because that goodness comes from inside. We all have it inside and you have to learn how to see that light inside, strengthen it, and use it for your fuel. We all do. If you have an addiction issue, or you know somebody that has an addiction issue, and you want to heal, my suggestion is that you deal with the underlying cause, which is the connection. Find some safety where you can feel like you can have a real connection with somebody, 
and then build on that. Once you have that, if you've got problems in the second stage that have to deal with control, being seen, use that safety as a foundation so that you can stand up for yourself, create some boundaries, and show up the way that you really are. Have that courage to be like, hey, here I am. This is what I do. This is what I love. So that we don't have to get to the third stage, which is that, you know, I, I've given up. I just want to die now. It's a really avoidable thing a really curable thing, and it all starts with you and us. Be the support system that will allow people to show up without judgment, without condemnation, with total acceptance of who they are. And if you can't be that, then maybe you've got some self-love work to do. Maybe you're not seeing the love in them because you're not seeing it in yourself. It's all connected, guys. You see what I'm saying? What I wouldn't do is focus on the addictive behavior. It doesn't make sense to tell somebody who's coping with the emptiness that they feel inside to stop drinking when that's the only thing that they have that's working in their life. If you can love them through it, accept them through it, they'll stop on their own. It's the same with Rat Park. I have clients who cut, clients who drink, clients who have... I've had clients who do all of that and at no time did I ever say you can't do that anymore and they still stop. So just suggestion you give that a try. Love yourself, accept yourself, know why you do what you do and get your needs met in a healthier way. So I'm glad you're here. Keep listening and taking what works for you. I promise you, all you need is found in the sacred wheel. So thanks for tuning in. If you like the podcast, review it, subscribe, write me a comment, keeps the love chain going and assures that the podcast will hang around to help you and others. So I'm Laura Giles. Thanks guys for being here and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help the podcast thrive, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Laura Giles, you can follow her on all her socials at Laura Giles 804. See you next time.